Reading is out of uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life and you once lived the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So good to be with everyone this morning. I hope that when we come to gather on Sunday mornings, if you know the Lord and follow the Lord, that you come expecting to be renewed um, in your spirit. We're stirred up um, in our spiritual lives in scripture in a few different ways. One of them is when we fellowship around God's word. Another is when we pray, right? And another is when we spend time with God in his word on our own. That's the, way, the ways that we are stirred up together to remember who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. So I just am so glad to be with you all this morning and to enjoy the Lord's Day um, to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Last week we concluded, we're going through this uh, New Testament letter called Colossians. It was written to a church in Colossae, which is in, which, um, is in Greece, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And last week we concluded in chapter 3, verse 4, with this amazing verse that says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear. So many things that I think that we can think about with this verse and how it's so encouraging to us as human beings, as just humans, <laughs> needing to find ourselves and to find joy and answers. But the Bible right here, I think, is describing really two different ways to live your life. Two different ways. One way is fruitless doesn't work, it's frustrating, and it takes our life from us. See, the other way is the one that when, when Christ appears, we appear, our life appears. That's the second way. It's the only way to really be truly free in our hearts and souls, to be really human <coughs> in the way that God intended us to be human. I want you to consider these two options as we preach, and I want you to take out your phones with me right now. We've got a little thing, little uh, activity for you, okay? You need a, um, a smartphone, though, so if you don't have one of those. You guys all have phones, right? You probably, you know, I just caught you texting it, texting during church. Or, Oops, but that's all right. You can shut it off. Now, go to your camera. You guys have a camera on your phone. Go to that little little thing, that little camera. See, I'm, all, I'm looking at you right now, all right? So point it at me, right? That lo the lovely face. You can all take pictures and post them online right now if you want because the whole world wants to see me. Um, you got that little thing on your camera. So, you, so what do you see around? You see me? Right, okay. Now turn the camera around. You know how to do that? You know, flip it. You're know, looking at yourself. I'm looking at me right now. This is the view you get. I'm so sorry for you. 
<laughs> we got, yeah, selfie mode, right? So you see yourself, you, the screen, you see your, your own face on the screen. You see that? Now, you, now point, point your phone at me. What do you see? No, 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 I mean, point your phone at me and look in your screen. What do you see? You see yourself. Thank you, Morgan. We've got someone who's awake this morning, okay? So you're, you're looking in my direction, but you don't see me. You see yourself. Isn't that true? Okay. Now, when you click that little thing, you flip it around. Let me do it again. All right. Who do you see now? You see me. All right. So there's two. There's the, there's, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little risky here. Pretend I'm Jesus. All right. Far from it. Okay. <laughs> so your phone in your hand is your life. All the events of your life, it's trials that you've been through, the divorce that you went through, the death that you went through, whatever it might be, okay? Um, maybe all the, not, not just the, the bad things, the good things too, right? So it's, it's your whole life in your hand. So there are two ways to look at your life, right? So that phone is your tragedies, your joys, everything about you. And you can either see yourself in it or you can see Jesus in it. Those are the two ways you can live your life. You can see through the problems, the victories, and the joys. You can see only you, or you can see Christ. So that's the analogy. Those are the two ways that you can live your life. And hopefully, as we go throughout this sermon, you'll, you'll understand a little bit more of what I mean. It's sort of like a mirror. Everything around you might have a mirror. The person sitting on the side of you, the guy that cut you off, Right? That's the first way to live your life. It's got a mirror. Everything that happens points back to you. All of the events of your life point to you. Certain friends don't show up to some event in your honor. And it makes you feel kind of forgotten and insignificant. A birthday, a graduation. Maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend breaks up with you, right? We all know um, the difficulty that can surround uh, um, our own feelings and emotions when that happens. Or maybe you, you could, couldn't care less about men or women, but you love your grades and you want to do great you know, in school and your GPA is lower than someone else's that you thought you were smarter than. <laughs> a business colleague likes someone else's idea more than yours. You know, we could go on and on about all the disappointments of life, the different varieties that they come to us in. Or flip it, perhaps, right? So it's not so miserable and negative. You're the one that wins. You get the higher GPA. You're the one that has the, the filled up party or the better job recognition or respect, right? So it's, things are working out for you. All of the events of your life is a mirror, and they construct for you. You see in those, you see in them yourself. You see in them your own identity, your own worth, who you are, your competence. They describe your life, and they define you. The other way, though, is you, that mirror becomes a window. And now all of the events of your life, you don't see yourself, but you see something through it. You see through it to something else. An image that is not your own. And as a Christian, that image is Jesus's. So you lose a job or you get one. Your grades are awesome or they're really bad, etc. All of these are windows, and through them, the Christian sees a bigger picture. They don't see themselves all the time. It's not about me. It's about what God is using and where he's taking me, right? 
So we see through these things and we see Jesus Christ. We see Jesus in everything rather than ourselves. He appears when Christ, who is our life, appears. We appear. When Christ, who is our life, appears, so will you appear. Isn't that great? So here's the irony. When we only see ourselves in everything, we don't see ourselves. We keep looking. But when we see Jesus in everything, we get him and us at the same time. Does that make sense? Isn't that beautiful? When Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear. And that's the magic, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When he appears, we finally can see ourselves. When we see him, we see us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear. So that when we stop looking for ourselves and we see him, we actually see both. So we've been saying throughout this series that to come to Christ, to get the life that he promises, something first needs to die. There's a death that happens before life happens. As where we are standing in the Christian life first is over a grave. That's when we smash that mirror, right? That's the imagery. So we have a mirror, we see ourselves. The Bible says it needs to be smashed. And that's not easy, right? Something about us has to go through a death. We have to go through our own crucifixion. We have to stop thinking we're the center of the world. We have to see Christ. A mirror has to be broken, but that's us in that mirror. And that's not easy. There's a death that needs to happen. But at that graveside, once we finally see Christ and that mirror is broken, we dance. There's a dance in it. But that dance always includes a crucible. You know what a crucible is? It's a severe testing, a severe purging. A, a crucible is actually like this container that um, is made of this substance that you melt like metals in. Right? So in other words, it, can, it requires a much greater heat than metal for it itself to break down. That's a crucible. And, and scripture says we need to go through a crucible, a melting, a breaking. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Something's going to die first. Something's got to be smashed. Prefer, prefer him, he said, over your own mom and dad. Choose the less travel, narrow, dangerous path. So friends, the call to every Christian that's saved by grace through faith is a call to life. It's a call to real life, but it begins with death. It begins with a crucifixion. Something has to be lost. Something has to be smashed until we can finally see Christ through everything else in life. That's where it begins. And Paul says here in our text, there are three things that are very difficult for all of us to do, but are necessary for life in Christ. He says, put to death rid yourself, and stop lying. Put to death, rid yourself, and stop lying. And we're going to get into these for the rest of our time together. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, he gives a list now, 
impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, or covetousness. Some translations say all of which these things are idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, which was no life at all. So friends, we need to suggest here that ultimately what Paul is saying is that we must put to death first idolatry because idolatry is the source of everything that he listed. Evil desires, lust, impurity, immorality, greed, covetousness, all these things that sort of are in our, in our hearts that, that we, we say no to God about, we do them anyway, all of it has its source in idolatry. That even though upon faith in Jesus, our old self has died, we're given a new life in Christ. If you've ever heard these texts of scripture, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. You have a new life. So the moment you put faith in Jesus, you are new. Something has died and something lives. But there's also this process. There's a flesh that wars against the spirit, and that war continues into the day that Christ comes back for us. So even when we have faith in Jesus, even when the old self has technically died in God's economy and life is pronounced on us, there still remains in us a struggle between the flesh and the spirit or what scripture calls here our earthly nature, our earthly nature. That flesh wars against the new life. So your mirror is always trying, excuse me, your window is always trying to fog up so it shows you again, if that makes sense. Romans 7 says, I know that nothing good, in, good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. It's fallen. I want to do what's right, but I can't. You ever felt, feel like that before? I know what's right to do. I, want, I even want to do the right thing, but then I don't do it. I want to do what is good, but I don't do that either. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Galatians chapter 5 sort of describes again this struggle that a Christian has between his old nature and his new one. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So there is that struggle, that tension in each and every one of us as Christians between the spirit and the flesh, the old nature and the new. One wants to follow Christ and see Christ, the other does not. These two forces, it says, Paul says in Galatians 5, are constantly fighting each other. So that there is a battle in the Christian life, if you're a Christian. There remains a tension. And I think sometimes that can be disillusioning when you first come to faith in Jesus. Everything feels really great. It doesn't feel, you don't feel the same anymore. But then as time goes by, you, you start noticing these tensions re reappearing again. You thought you got rid of that mirror and replaced it for a window, and all of a sudden it's a mirror again. And, but God calls us to have a clear view of Jesus, to be led by the Spirit. Or we can resist that, turn that into a mirror, and be led by our flesh again. So that our daily task as Christians is to smash that mirror, to put it to death, Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, all of which 
our idolatry. And in so doing, we begin to live. So that Paul says in Romans 8, for if you follow the lead of your flesh, your sinful nature, your old nature, you'll die. It's death. It's not fun, in other words. <laughs> right? It's difficult. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sin- sinful nature, you'll live. Friends, the fruit of the sinful tree leading to death being what they called about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and greed. That's the fruit, but the root of that tree is idolatry. And I don't know if you realize this, but if you want to stop fruit from growing, cut the tree down, right? Now, you can pick them all up off the grass, and, or as they start to bud on the tree, you can yank them off, or you could just get your axe and lay it to the root of the tree and get rid of it. And this can be very, very hard to do because we love our trees. It can feel like we're cutting ourselves down or putting ourselves to death because in a sense we are. It's our reflection in that mirror. What is idolatry? And this is important to mention here. I think it's something that I have talked about before, but let's repeat it. Idolatry basically says that God is not God. Something else is. So, okay, fine. What does that mean? I don't think that there's another God besides God. Well, you might have a functional God. You might not call it God, but at the end of the day, you believe, and I believe, that it's the thing that will make you happy. It's what you need in life to keep you safe and secure. So, do you see, friends, almost anything can be an idol at that point. It can be a friend, it can be a parent, it can be money, it can be a job, it can be power, it can be family. You see, whatever, you, wh- whatever it is that you define your life as a success over. You see, an, uh, an idol is something that we use God to get. The real God, I mean. You see, we understand that there's a higher power, but this over here is what we really want, so we're just, we're just after him to get the thing that we're really after. Does that make sense? our real God, our functional God. So idolatry basically says that God isn't God. I've decided that something else is. Whoever, wh- whoever or whatever that you've put in his place is the one at the end of the day that you're going to obey. You see, that's your functional God, and you will do whatever you need to do to get it. So for example... If you do something sexually immoral, why do you suppose you did such a thing? Maybe even a thing that you know to be wrong. You see, you might not be a Christian here this morning, and you might presume that you know, Christians have a certain sexual ethic, something, you know, things about sex that's right and things that are about sex that are wrong. And you might think that we put like sort of like the line a little closer, right? And, and you might, might be right, but let me suggest to you that we all have one of a, a sexual ethic, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. There are forms of sex, if you're a Christian or not, that we'll all say isn't right to do, okay? So if you break that ethical code, that sexual ethical code that maybe you believe because of God's word, why do you suppose you do such a thing? What was your motivation? And this is where, what I'm getting at about idols. Because what motivates you to do it might be something completely different that motivates me to do it. So for example, if your God is power, 
Maybe you'll, you'll end, end up in some kind of sexual relationship because you, it makes you feel like you're in control of your life and maybe even of a person. So that, that commandment that says do not commit adultery or fornication, you break it because your God is power. Does that make sense? Now, it might be completely different for me. Maybe I break that because I want to feel accepted, affirmed, loved. So my God isn't power. My God is the fear of man. You see? My God is man. Their approval and their, their acceptance of me. See, we have two different gods, but we, we broke the same law of God. See, it's important for us to realize this because we think that we just did something wrong when at the root of it, something much deeper is going on in our hearts. There's a reason why you're doing it. So at this point, the behavior simply isn't about sex. It's not about lying. It's not about you know, murder or whatever it is that we did. It's about something else. It's about some other God. Something We're obeying something else that caused us to do it. It's about what we worship. What's most important to us in our heart of hearts, and we surrender to its command. Jesus said it like this. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes out into the sewer. Pretty gross, right? So Jesus said some gross things too, not just me. But the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. So he's saying it's not just the things that you do. You, met, you did this wrong thing. What, why? What, what's in your heart that provoked that behavior? That's the real issue. That's what, from from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality. It comes from the heart. So you can try to be good and clean yourself up, but if your heart isn't different, you're just going to find new ways to be corrupt. You're going to find new demonstrations of idolatry in your life. If your heart loves God's creation more than God, which is idolatry. That's what idolatry is. It's loving God's creation more than God. It's thinking that your life is connected to his creation and not God, that what you need is his creation and not him. You have sought to find your life in the created thing. What happens now when you do that is you put up a mirror and everything is now about you. Those things become your functional saviors And because of this, you begin to obey them and use God to get what you want. Friends, the Christian, having died with Christ and being given new life, though we still feel the tension of this at times, we know the trick. And we're called not to debate, we're not to waste time, we're not to entertain or compromise. We're supposed to smash it. Just call it what it is. It's sin. It's an idol. I'm worshiping a false god, and that's why I want to do this thing right now. We know the trick. So what we need to do immediately as Christians is put it to death, call it what it is, and smash the mirror. When we love and obey Jesus, our vision of him is more clear. We clear off that window, of that mirror becomes a window again, so that when he appears, we appear and will live. We are to completely exterminate our old way of life with all of its false devotions. Everything else that we've put our love towards more than the Lord, trusted in more than him for his provision, desired more than his love and affection. We put him first. 
Because at its root, when we fall into lust or greed or whatever, whatever it might be, at its root, there's a false God that will only bring death. It will always disappoint you. It will never work out the way that we think it will, and we need to urgently chop it down. Has anyone ever heard of um, Aaron Rolston? They made a movie about him. I think it was called 128 Hours, um, something like this, or Days. I forget exactly what the name of the movie. Um, well, he was um, a hiker, um, an outdoorsman, and he began in a climber. He began a solo descent of the Blue John Canyon in southeastern Utah by himself, which was probably a mistake, as you'll see. Well, in this process, he dislodged a boulder, and it, the boulder pinned his right wrist to the side of the canyon wall so he could not move or get out. After five days, he amputated his own arm with a dull pocket knife <laughs> to make his way through the rest of the canyon. So he takes a pocket knife, and if you've seen the movie, it's really gross. What he has to do, the horror of what he has to do to himself. He cuts his own arm off, breaks his own bone, and then he begins to rappel down a 60-foot drop on a rope, and he hiked seven miles to safety. Can you imagine? They made a movie about this, and it's quite spiritual, actually, and worth watching. If he hadn't cut his arm off, he would have died. And friends, there are things in our life that we need to cut off because they're killing us. And might I suggest to you, it's more than just being a jerk. i got to stop being a jerk. It's more than just our anger, our outbursts. It's more than just jealousy. It's more than just maybe some kind of sexual playfulness that we have in our single years, right? It's more than just that something is deeply rooted in us. That's where we need to lay the axe. What's happening in my heart? What am I really trusting in that's causing me to do this? Because, friends, how many people know how difficult it is to stop a behavior for the sake of stopping the behavior? We don't really know ourselves. We don't know why we're doing it. And it's just frustrating, and we become angry. Have you ever heard of the expression, um, sober alcoholics? Or what do they call it? I'm messing that up. Yeah, so, so, yeah they're, so they're dry alcoholics. In other words, they're, they're not drinking, but they're still just as cranky and difficult as they were when they were drinking. Right? Because they, haven't, they stopped drinking, but they haven't fixed their heart condition. Something's still broken inside of them. And might I suggest it's because we need to be introduced to God our Savior Christ. He needs to appear to us so that we can know and love him. So we need to put these things to death. Friends, could you name one or two things that you need to put, death, to put to death this morning? Write them down and ask, what's going on in my heart over these things? One or two things that need to, you just always see yourself in them. You always see the injustice of it. You just always see you. You can never see through it to Christ. Can you name them and begin to ask God, what's going on in my heart? What lie am I believing? What God am I serving? that needs to be destroyed and put, be put to death. Things that block Jesus, who is our life, from being in full view. So we need to put to death. The second thing we need to do is we need to rid ourselves of some um, difficult things 
indeed to rid ourselves of. Verse 8, but now rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And remember, the context is the heart. It's not just about the, the only way that you can rid yourself of an angry heart is to have a heart transformation. You can't just say, I will to not be angry. Something has to be transformed in you. Rid yourself means to take off like a, like a garment, like a, like a dirty, disgusting, heavy, whatever it is. You, you take it off. Rid yourself of these things. That means that like, the imagery is sometimes our anger, can we wear it like clothes. Have you ever been there? You wear your anger like clothes. You're so mad. And we all know that that's not a good way to live. But we don't know how to take it off. It just follows us around everywhere we go. When you put clothes on, they have a tendency to follow you around. So Paul says, take them off. In verse 8, Paul begins to examine attitudes of the heart and of speech, of the way that we think and the way that we talk. And he, says, he calls these things anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Take them off like a piece of clothes, and there's a progression here. The first word he uses is anger, and this word has to do with the condition of the heart. It's an angry heart. It's not just a momentary, someone cut me off, and what's wrong with you kind of thing, Right? It is, I am angry. I am an angry person. I'm mad in general. I might have like kind of moments of joy where I forget about the fact that I'm angry, but if I'm really like to myself and I start thinking I'm just mad, anger is, is a settled feeling in our hearts. Rage is the sudden outburst of what is that settled feeling. You ever been really mad at someone and you, and you shut your mouth? And day three, you shut your mouth. And day 10, you shut your mouth. And then all of a sudden, a volcano erupts. And you can't shut your mouth anymore. That's what he's talking about. Anger, rage, malice is the desire to do harm to someone else or to see harm done to them. You ever feel that way? Oh, I don't want them to die. I don't want them to be boiled in acid. You know, like, I don't, not something really bad, but I, I just hope maybe someone, you know, pops their tires. Or they lose their job, or right? Like something that's not too bad, but like they fail. They miss out, and we see it. And we sort of feel like, you know, karma happened. Malice is the desire for harm to come to someone that maybe an they've done an injustice to us. And you know what slander is? Slander is basically revenge with words. It's hurting someone verbally. And you know you can slander someone in your own mind. That jerk. Why is he so awful and I'm so great? Right? So that's slander. Can I ask you this morning again to consider why are you angry if you're angry? If you have a settled anger in your heart. Now, you might not. But you might. And if you do, chances are you might not even realize it. You need to do some self-examining of why you're angry. Why might you be angry this morning? Why might there be a settled anger in your heart? What situation continually, if you think of it, brings you back into that silent rage? Who or what 
can you just not speak anything kind about? Out loud or to yourself? You see, friends, we want so many things to appear for us, right? We want friendships to appear, and we want marriage to appear, and we want success and vocation to appear. We want approval and not rejection. We want these things to appear for us. And because we've set up mirrors through which we become, we come to believe our lives are filled. So in other words, when things are going good, we see something good in the reflection. Someone is accepting us, or I got a raise, or everything's going well. So what, what would cause us to enter into a place of anger and rage and malice except that they stopped going well? So now the image that I see is only of an image of injustice, of pain, of something that someone did to me that sh they shouldn't have. You see? We can't see through the person or the event that disappointed or devastated us. We can't see past it to Jesus Christ. So when the issue is again brought up and into sight, we're brought back into that state of emotional frenzy. And it causes our language to become filthy, to slander, for us to become furious. Might I suggest to you and to myself that perhaps we wanted something from something or someone else, something they could never give us the love and affirmation and acceptance that only Christ can. And the inner anger is simply the only emotional response that we have to a disappointment with a mirror reflecting back at us. But maybe that thing needed to die. Maybe that disappointment needed to happen so that we could, start, we could begin to identify what is that we really need for life and happiness and joy. You know, this is what Joseph did. You remember the story of Joseph? Could I remind you? He's an Old Testament character. His brothers decide daddy likes him more than he likes us, and he gives them that coat of many colors, remember? And they're all jealous. And Joseph comes up to him one day, and he says, guys, I had a dream, and in my dream, you all bowed down to me. Isn't that awesome? Maybe a little young and doesn't get yet why that might not be taken well. So isn't that awesome? You guys are going to all worship to me. Even, even his dad that supposedly liked him more than the other ones was mad. Like, what do you think? I'm going to bow to you. You're my son. Right? So, so Joseph's brother's like, no, this is not good. We don't like this. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take him out into the wilderness and we're going to kill him. And then while they're out there, some of his brothers say, don't do this. Don't kill him. We shouldn't kill him. Sell him into slavery. You know, take, <laughs> take door number two as if that's any better. So he goes, he's, they sell him into slavery. He ends up, long story short, he ends up in prison. And then he gets released from prison. And he ends up serving the Pharaoh as second in command to the greatest empire on the known earth at the time. Then a famine happens. All throughout the land, a famine happens. No one's got food. This is many, many years later. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. Because of Joseph's wisdom, they had stored up all of this grain, right? And Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to ask the Egyptian rulers for grain. And they stand before their brother, and they don't realize it's him. Finally, at the end of the story, they all realize it's him, and they're afraid. This is after Joseph's um, father had died. Now they think, we're in trouble now. Now that dad's dead, he's going to kill us all. 
And they say, please don't, don't harm us. This is the, the very end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph said, do not fear, because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Okay? This is what Joseph did. My brothers sold me into slavery. Right? This is the, the phone, is the selling me into slavery. Okay? If he saw himself in that, all he would have seen is the injustice. Right? All he, all he would have seen was the lack of love, his, like all, everything that happened to him as a consequence in prison and all this, these, these near-death experiences. He would have just seen him. But because he had a divine, a divine perspective, he, he flipped that camera around and through the trial saw Christ. He said, these things were evil. But you see, I see God in it. I see a greater narrative, a better story, one that I don't always understand. And that's the narrative that I choose to believe and operate my life in. You see, friends, this is the challenge, I think, to the spiritual life. To be able to have that sort of perspective so that we can answer our anger and our fits of rage, all of these things that sort of are buried in our soul, and we can put them to death finally once and for all. So put to death, rid yourself, and finally be honest. It says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Do not lie to each other. And let me, m let me just add, don't lie to yourself. If you want to identify a functional God, you just ask yourself this very simple question. What do I normally lie about? What would you normally lie about? Let's just think about that question, right? Suppose you're late for work and your boss notices. Hey, you're late. What's going on? Ah, uh, um, traffic. Sorry, there was a lot of traffic. You know, uh, stoplights aren't traffic, by the way, right? Like, so you're lying. You're just totally lying. And you know that you're lying, right? Because you were late and your functional God is money. You don't want to lose your job. So you lie, right? What do you lie about? It's a good question. What are you prone to lie about if you lie about things? <clears throat> Maybe that's not your God, right? Maybe money isn't your God. Maybe good grades are. And you show up to school or college and you forgot about some important assignment and it's important. Somehow it just slipped. The, the professor calls you to turn it in and because, because good grades are your functional God, you cook up a story. My dog ate my homework. Please, can I have three more days? I was sick this past week. Yeah, sure you were. Fake-itis. Fake-itis sick. You're a little sleepy because you stayed up till 11 one night. That's not sick, right? So we lie. We just make up stories because we want something. We have a functional God. What do you lie about? What, what are you prone to not tell the truth over? The Bible says that a clear view of Jesus and the subsequent life that he gives us requires absolute honesty. We have to stop lying. Lying to ourselves, lying to God, lying to our neighbors. We must stop deceiving ourselves and pretending. And we lie in so many different ways, don't we? Oh, I'm fine. I, I don't need help. When you actually do need help. How many people were desperate for help and someone actually asked you if you needed help and you still said no? Why? Why did you lie? 
I'm not mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm fine. I've forgiven that person. And we lie. We lie to ourselves. We actually start to believe the lies that we tell. But friends, can I suggest to you, Scripture says here, stop lying. To really know the life and power of Jesus, you need to live perpetually naked before him. You see, that's dangerous because I've messed up a lot. I've done a lot of wrong things. Okay. But it's safe to be naked in front of Christ. Because what he does is he takes the things that you've legitimately done that were sinful against him, and he puts them on the cross, and through repentance and faith, you're forgiven. So it's safe to be naked in front of him. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't humiliate you. I'll tell you something that that I would be prone to lie about. It's the time I wake up in the morning. For some reason, I have this thing in my head that it's embarrassing if you wake up late. What time do you get up in the morning, Kyle? Seven? Because that's about the time when I'm starting to realize that I need to get up. So I'm awake. <laughs> right? And th- so, so I lie. I'll lie. You know, I, I've, p- we, we all do this, don't we? Why do we lie? Jesus Christ says, put these things off. Stop lying and put on new garments. Be honest. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So to be free, to have life in your heart, true life, that be, live sort of like the humanity that God has called you to live, to be free of anger and jealousy and rage and coveting and all these things, to be free from it and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit We are given instructions right here to put on the new self and renew it day by day in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So in other words, because the flesh wars against the spirit, you don't wake up one day and everything's great. And there's no more struggle and no more tension. It means that if we smash a mirror today, chances are we'll probably have to smash another one tomorrow. It's a, it's a daily habit of cleaning it to see Christ. The new self is who we are in Jesus. It's the self that appears when he appears. It's our real life, renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator, Jesus. Friends, to be a Christian is to have experienced something radical and life-changing, to have put off an old self with its practices and put on every single day something new. The new self doesn't grow old, it doesn't die, but day by day it grows in Christ and it's renewed. It's a continual process of renewal of the new man by which we grow and the old man shrinks. And it doesn't just happen automatically. It happens as we continue to pursue love for Christ. And we intentionally, volitionally smash idols. So we need to answer it. To identify every single day what is our old nature, to remove it and to kill it, and to stop lying and to stop making excuses. To identify a functional God that we've worshipped and rid him, light the fire. 
exterminate it. Friends, isn't, isn't this way better? Not being trapped in our own rage and anger and greed. Living our lives just to get stuff that we want, no matter what the cost. Isn't it better to be freed from these things so that we can know the real life that God gives us in his son Jesus? You're not those things anymore. You say, I've failed a lot in my life. Okay. Get in line. It's a long one. You're not those things in Christ when you put repentant faith in Jesus. And that requires honesty. But when you do that, you are new. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you veered off from him, you're new. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear. So friends, put on Jesus. Stop putting on everything else. Put him on. These are better clothes. It's not easy. It requires a death. It's a graveyard. But friends, then comes life. Then comes a dance. And I hope that you'll enjoy it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask you, Lord, for your help and favor. We pray, God, that this morning, whatever it is that we have put our trust in, whatever disappointments that we have endured. Oh God, help us to see through it as if in a mirror. And God, when, you, when Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with him. Oh God, I pray, Lord, appear to us so that we might know ourselves and be freed from all the false hopes. If you don't know Jesus, would you come to him right now? Accept Christ by grace through faith. Cry out to him, God save me a sinner. I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sin and rose again so that when he appears to me with his life that I'll have it too. Friend, if that is you, your sins are forgiven and you're given an eternal inheritance, a home with your God who made you. I pray now, God, that you would bless us as, the, 